Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. And it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, for now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. There, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave-free, but Christ is all in, and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word that you've given us, uh, that you've reserved for us. Father, thank you because... We come together today to hear what it is that you have uh, to speak to us about, Lord. We, we just ask that you continue to work in us with your words, Father, that your words change who we are and not the world, but your words and who you are, Father. We just ask that you open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us, Lord, even when things are hard and when things are easy, even when we think it's not even for us, Father. We just, we just pray that you continue to work in us, Lord. And I pray that these words that I speak may not be mine, but yours. And in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Would it be weird if I would ask you, what clothing are you wearing? And you'd be like, well, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a little bit weird, right? A little bit of an awkward uh kind of question, maybe if, even if you don't have the context of it, right, this question can be a little bit odd, and it's like, what does he want to know what I'm wearing, right, sometimes that even may come off wrong, maybe disrespectful, right, you know, we're not even on the red carpet, so why are you even asking me that, right, and I thought we were in church, right, who cares what we're wearing, I thought we wouldn't judge each other on what we were wearing, but if I put a little bit of context into that question, uh, clothing, the clothing of a person uh, that he wears usually uh, says a lot about himself or herself, in this case, you know, uh, men and women. And we identify uh, who's who a lot depending on what clothing someone wears. If you're in an office setting and you see somebody with a suit, right, whether it's a man or woman, doesn't matter, they're wearing a suit, right, nice tie or a really nice uh, female suit, all elegant and everything, what do we usually think? Oh, this is the boss. 
this is who, who's in charge here. Or sometimes maybe, oh, this is somebody who's coming for a job interview, right? We start identifying. Or, or this is that one person that's, you know, dresses for the future, right? Where he maybe he wants to be the boss and he comes to w work all dressed really nice and perfect because, you know, he hopes in one day that he get recognized and be a boss, right? Uh, usually if you're not, you're, you're just wearing as basic as professional dress as possible, right? At least I do when I go to work. What is the minimum I'm required to wear? Tell me, because I don't want to. I don't want to dress more than I have to, right? I don't want to wear a tie. So if, if I polo, fine. So you see, those who polos wear polos. Those who fancy suits are usually the bosses because they don't have much of a choice but to wear like that. In a restaurant, right? You can tell who's who. They, you know, some the waiters have one clothing. Other staff has other clothing. Kitchen wears certain things. I remember working as a, uh, uh, you know, in a restaurant for a couple of years. The waiters would wear blue. The bus boys will all wear white with a little bow tie, right? And then the staff in the back will all wear aprons with, you know, whatever they want to wear. Just had to wear a white apron. And you can tell who was who. You can tell who was a waiter and who was the bus boy. Policemen and a fireman, usually for the most part, unless the policeman's on the cover, you could tell who's a cop by their uniform. You can tell who's a firefighter by the uniform. So we have this idea that whatever it is that you're wearing identifies who you are or what you're doing. A lot of times, you know, you could be wearing the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? You can walk into like a Taco Bell and you see a guy in the back, you know, the register, he's wearing a regular shirt and he's wearing a ski mask on. You're not saying, oh, this guy's an employee. This guy's probably here robbing, right? And you never know. Maybe he's not. Maybe he just got called in and he's really cold and he's wearing a ski mask because it's cold and he just kind of called in. So you, you could be in the wrong place wearing the wrong thing and be accused of the wrong thing. So you, you got to be careful with that, right? The clothing you will wear during Jesus' time was the same thing, right? You would tell the class status that you were in, who you were, what you believed. For example, Jewish men had tassels attached to the corners of their mantles. It will remind them of the constant presence of the Lord's commandments. And many knew that they were Jewish because of what they were wearing. You know, in, in our time, you can tell the Jews also, those practicing Jews, they're, they're very, you know, there and they're practicing all the time, right? They're, they're living that lifestyle completely, right? They're Jews, 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 100% Jews. You can tell who they are, right? They have specific hair with specific clothing, right? They wear that all the time. So you can tell. Uh, we see many times in Scripture where we reference white robes as signs of purity, right? It tells us we're going to be wearing white robes, right? The believers at the end, when we gather with Christ, will be all dressed in white robes, right? Representing who we are. So now if I would ask you, what does your clothing say about you? What are you going to say? What would you say if I would ask you, what does your clothes say about you? And I'm sure many would have a bunch of different responses, especially nowadays. Maybe even say, hey, uh, don't worry about what my clothes says, right? Or you can tell me, well, oh, it says that I'm going to the beach today because I'm wearing a bathing suit on or something, right? But at the end of the day, what your external clothing says about you does not really matter in comparison about what your Internal spiritual clothing says about you. So then the question I really want to ask is, who are you wearing? 
you know, when you see those guys in the red carpet, right, all fancy with the nice dresses and, and clothing and, and all those, or, or the weird ones, I guess not nice anymore because a lot of stuff is weird, but they don't, get, they don't get asked, hey, what are you wearing? They get asked, who are you wearing? Because they can see what they're wearing. If it's a mess, they can see the mess. But they want to know, who is it? Who are you wearing? And that's because who you are wearing outside represents of who your designer is. They're saying, okay, so that's who you're representing. So the designer thought this in your head, and, and he said, hey, wear this. And you said, okay, okay, so now this is who you, who you think is good, who you kind of guide yourself with, those kind of people, right? The same way is who you're wearing spiritually. It represents who is your designer. So spiritually, who are you wearing? What designer is it that you're wearing spiritually? In this case, who you're wearing dictates how you're going to look spiritually. Which also, remember, once it's internally, it goes externally. So who's your designer? Who is your spiritual designer? Your spiritual clothing is going to ultimately show who is your exterior. Is it Christ? Is it the world? What is exactly? Who exactly is it that you're wearing? And this question has been asked, and I've asked this question many times. For example, who is your master? Who is the master of your life? We've seen it where we've spoken about who's the foundation of your life. It all, it's all the same question. And today I'm asking, are we wearing Christ? Is Christ the center focus just like Paul is talking about? Or, or are we just living out this religious life like the false teachers of the time that this letter was written? Are we wearing Christ or are we wearing something else? If you remember, Paul's been tackling some of the bad teachings like we discussed in the last couple of weeks. Uh, just as a reminder, we, we looked at legalism, right? You, you must do, you must follow, you must obey in order to be okay with God. And then we looked at man-made philosophies. Rather than listening to God, what he's saying, we come up with our own ideas of things, and then we live through those ideas. And we even saw how, you know, people would put other gods in front of Christ and say, no, that's not God. We even looked at how Paul said, no, Christ is God. He is who he says he is. He is the king of the universe. He is the creator of everything. So now Paul is teaching that those who understand the truth and live the truth are in Christ. And therefore, you have a new position. And he said that in your new position, you must set your minds on the things of heaven. You must set your minds on the things of above, not the things of this world. And we didn't read that, but that's the beginning of this chapter. That is what sets this chapter off is that we must set our things, our mind on things of God. You have been raised. That means you're no longer dead. We, we talked about that. You're no longer dead. You have been raised in Christ. And now you're seated. You're no longer alienated from God. Now you're seated next to God. You now also have a new identity. 
you are a new person. At this moment, if you have Christ, you are a new creature. And because of who we are, Paul is calling us to think differently. He says, not, don't think of the things of this world, but things, think of the things of heaven. Remember, we are citizens of heaven. So ultimately, our goal is not, you know, like Pastor Alex was saying right before, we're not here to change the world into everyone's got to be a Christian now. That's not what we're here for. We have an ultimate goal, which is heaven, which is the things of God. And yes, we go out and preach the gospel individually to people, but we're not here to change nations. This is why, why Paul says that now our clothing, our attitudes, our actions that we have has to reflect that new position that we all of a sudden have. Right? You become a, a, uh, a boss at your job, you're wearing just regular polos, and now you're uh, the manager or the director, what do you do? You need to dress like it. You have to change the way you're dressing. You, like, you have to change the way you act around other people. Now you have to be a little bit more nicer. right? You have to do certain things. Your new position requires you to have a change in your attitude, in the way you dress, in the way you do things. This is the reason why I ask, who are you wearing? And what does your clothing say about you? And we have to ask this question because many look like people of the world. Maybe there's many who say they're Christian, but they actually don't even look halfway Christian. They don't act like a Christian. They don't even literally physically dress like a Christian, whatever that means. So you can put your own comments on there. But they don't look like they're Christians. They're doing everything that non-Christians do. Everything about their life is just like the non-believer. Everything they do, how they act, how they speak, everything looks like a non-believer. They have the same self, selfish goals. They have the same selfish outlook of life. Their focus is not on the things of God. Their focus is on themselves. What can they do for themselves? They speak and they behave just like one of them. And that shouldn't be the case because when we put on Christ, the old goes and the new one comes. And when I say that, I mean the old person goes and we are a new person. Look at Matthew 9, 17, where it says, Neither is, a new wine put in, neither is new wine put into old wineskin. If it is, the skin burst and the wine is spilled and the skin is and the skin are destroyed. But the new wine is put into fresh wineskin, and so both are preserved. Jesus is saying that the ways of the kingdom will not fit into the old religious ideas. Those old religious practices and observation, it does not fit in the new men. Jesus is saying that before we can even begin to live out the life of Christ that he's called us to live, there must be a change within you. Something has to change. You can't say that I am a believer in Christ and continue 
to live the same life as you did before. Whether it was a religious life where you did everything by the books with checks. I am so religious. I do everything 100% like the Bible says. Or is it because you just want to continue to live your own sin, your old sinful lifestyle? There must be a change. There can't be an expectation that we can follow Christ living under old laws. And many of these man-made ideas and behaviors and these attitudes, we cannot set that expectation for ourselves. And I am not going to set that expectation for you. See, because when you come in Christ, and Christ is in, your, in you, the new ways are coming, but the old skin must go. And it must make way for the new one that can hold the new covenant. You can't just say, Let me, give me the new covenant, but I'm going to hold it on this old wineskin. So then what does Paul say that we needed to do? First, we must take off our old clothes of sin. First thing Paul says that we need to do is right there in verse 5. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he said, hey, before anything, Christ, you're clothing on Christ, right? You put on Christ. Now it's time to do the first thing. You need to put all that worthy stuff in your life. You need to put it to death. Then he goes into, into uh, specific, right? He, he, he tells you of specific earthly things that, that kind of tackle everything, right? And, and it really all comes down to one real big problem that we have, right? Where he goes... Those things are sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. Now, we must understand how it's written, right? And he says, because the way it's written says, therefore, so that means that Paul is saying that because you have a new identity, because you're a new person, because you're wearing Christ, that is how you can put to death those things. That is how you put to death the old self. It's because of Christ. You also have to understand that he's not saying to find a way to control that old self. He's not saying, hey, because Christ is in you, in you find a way to manage your old self. I don't know, figure it out if you, you know, if you're having issues with something, find a management program or something. He's not saying let's find a way to control or manage this evil that's in you. He's saying you have to wipe it out completely, out of existence. He says it's got to go. That's what it means to be put to death. When you put to death something, when somebody dies, what is it? They're, they're, you're not going to see them unless you see a picture. They're gone. They're gone. So what are these evil attitudes that Paul is talking about? He's talking about sexual immorality, right? Which is refers to the you know, intercourse outside of marriage, right? Any sexual act that is not in line with God's will. And we know we've talked about this, right? There are many things. We don't have to go into details because you already know everything that falls into that. 
He talks about impurity, which refers to all types of lustful thoughts, unclean talk, those nasty jokes, and those, you know, those bad actions that sometimes we see. Talks about a passion, which refers to, it refers to and it can also be translated into lust, right? And it refers to having deep passion regarding sexual acts outside of God's will. Is, is, that, is that desire and that passion that you, that you have to, I need this. I got to do this. Oh, I, oh I, I have to. I got to do it. I'm going to do it. He mentions those evil desires, those mental urges to have those immoral acts. The desire to do something against God. Right? Covetness refers to something that you cannot have lawfully. And, and, and in this context, this is probably primarily referring to sex or, or things associated with it. Right? Wanting other people's women or men or wanting stuff that you shouldn't be doing. Right? Because what it really comes down to is Paul is telling them, get rid of everything that had to do with illicit sex. Anything that's not of God, get rid of it. I mean, if you think back through history, sexual immorality has always been something that makes the church stand out. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Whether it's something good or something bad, right? It always makes the church stand out. But when you look at it, there is no way that Jesus will walk in any of these sins. If you look at the life of Christ, that's why we, we believe Christ. That's why we say Christ is who he is because he lived that perfect life. He l- didn't have any issues with none of this. He didn't live out any of these uh, immoral uh, ideas or lifestyle. So if we identify with Christ, if we are putting on Christ, We're not going to walk in them either. You're saying, well, I believe Christ and Christ is my life and Christ runs my life and everything revolves around God. And I, yeah, that's what you say, right? Actions speak louder than words. That's what I hear, right? Uh, and your actions quite don't put what you're saying. If you remember, we, we talked about the letters, we looked at the letters of the churches in Revelation, right? And how God dealt with people who were listening and following the teachings of these false prophets, including someone uh, who was first to as Jezebel, right? Who was teaching, uh, you can do whatever you want as long as, you know, it feels good and, hey, don't worry about it, right? Society has that problem. And in our time, there's a lot of pressure from society itself, and we, and we have to recognize that this generation has a lot of sexual immorality, and, 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 and it's a little bit out of control, I think. I don't know. It's my opinion. You can agree or disagree, but it is a little bit out of control, a lot out of control. And this is the type of sin Paul is talking about. This is the type of sin that invites the wrath of God. So, hmm. But we were all once walking in that path, but since we are now wearing Christ and we are new creatures, 
We must keep our focus on the things of God and we should not be okay with all of our sinful desires and all those sinful natures that we have to, to sin against God. We must not be okay with it. I always say, you know, we, we, you know, we make mistakes and we, we're not, I'm not saying that, hey, we should be perfect, right? We don't go to hell because we make mistakes, right? We go to hell because we live out this lifestyle of sin, rebellions against God, and we're okay with it. If you're ever okay with being in sin, we need to have a bit of a conversation. Please talk to me. And like I said, you know, I don't want you to get me wrong because some of these sins, you know, will mark a true Christian, right? There are Christians, true Christians, including myself, that still fall into certain things and, and mess up and, and sin. I, I'm not here saying, hey, guys, we all need to live perfect. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Paul is saying either. But it should never be the walk of a true Christian. Your lifestyle must not be that. That's not who should be recognized as. That person that, you know, likes to have sex with every person that comes by. That shouldn't be it. Second thing Paul says is to get rid of uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. So Paul is asking us to put away our evil ways of expression, the way we, we approach things and the way we speak and the way we, we act. Get rid of it. There's some scholars and teachers that, that like to call these the lessers of the sins, right? They, oh, this is just small sins, little sins here and there, right? This, eh, it's no big deal, right? And maybe... You agree? These are maybe not necessarily the most biggest sin thing you can worry about, right? These are the lesser things if you want. You may agree, you may not. But even then, we are called to get rid of everything that goes towards a rebellion against God. Everything. He's talking about big or small. Get rid of it. Where there's big, where there's small sins, they are not compatible with Christ. Therefore, they should not be present if, if they sh it should not be present if, if we're wearing Christ and if we are new creatures. It shouldn't be there. There shouldn't be anger. There shouldn't be disrespect towards one another. We shouldn't be talking bad about each other. We shouldn't just be speaking nasty words to begin with. There shouldn't be anger and, and, and that I desire to, to retaliate because someone did something to you. And specifically for one another, for your brother, for your sister, that should definitely not be there. I'm not saying there should be a little bit for those outside. No, no, there shouldn't be. But we have to remember that, that we are all together in Christ. You know, back before Christ came, there was all these barriers that in, in ancient Rome that created the classes of people, right? We have Jews, we have Gentiles, we have certain people, and, and, and there was always this division, right? Be set apart from the rest. 
be different, therefore follow these laws. But in Christ, all that was removed. We are all one race together under the same Savior, right? Every single one of us in here, we may look like different colors or, or different eyes or, or whatever it is, but we are all the same in Christ. There's, that's why there's no more Greek, there's no more Jew, there's not circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no slave, there's no free, we are all the same. I don't like to, you know, go too off you know, topic, right? But we've been hearing a lot about, you know, division and, and race, right? That's, uh, that rules the, uh, once uh, COVID noticed that they couldn't do much with COVID, now it's all about race now, right? And I heard this in the statistics uh, within the church, right? And it shows that uh, there's a big division within Christians, right, on, on how race is handled. Right, there's a huge separation, you know, between different races and how Christians handle race. But here's the thing. A real Christian doesn't care what color or what nation a person is from. It doesn't matter. If you're a true Christian, you l there is no color. And I say, well, that's so corny to say that. Yeah, there's no color. I don't see color. I don't care what color you are. I don't care where you're from. It doesn't matter to me because we are all in Christ. We don't label people. We don't create this, this the whole idea of even asking Christians, hey, are you, are you a black person and what should you worry about? Are you Chinese? And what, what is that? What is that? Who cares? If anyone is wearing Christ, is united in Christ with anyone else, who has Christ, and therefore we're all the same. So no matter who the person is that's down, no matter who the person is that is getting abused or getting hurt, it doesn't matter. We're there for those people. But there's still a reason why Paul brings this up as sin. Right? Like I said, I don't want to go off too off, right? And let's bring it back. Why, why is Paul even saying this, right? But if you notice... There hasn't been a lot of attacks towards a whole bunch of different people, African-Americans, Jews. Uh, now we, we, we're listening to a lot of Asians being attacked. But as long as there's sin, there's always going to be a continued attack on people from whatever race it is. Because we may be attacking, uh, when I say we, not me, uh, and I'm pretty sure none of you, right? Not, not the true church, right? But... Those who are being attacked here might be certain race, but if you go somewhere else, there's another race being attacked. So eventually, when you look at it all, everyone's getting attacked. And as long as there's sin, there's going to continue. That's not going to stop. But if you pay close attention to those people that are taking this on and doing these things, or those groups of people, whatever it is, at any beginning of any attack, it all starts with anger. It kind of all starts with you being angry at somebody. Whether it was a race, whether it was a nation, whether whatever it is, it starts there with the anger. I'm angry. And then from anger, it quickly escalates to rage. Right? Then you want to do something bad to them. Then we start talking bad about them. 
you know, we tear them down and eventually causing physical damage. I mean, we just, this week, right? Uh, this week, there's just a bunch of people died in a supermarket, right? Because apparently, from what I read, they didn't like Trump. He's not even president anymore. But you see what happens? He was angry, and that just led to harming people. And, and you say, well, these are small sins. Yeah, but these are small sins that can create large problems. And it creates a lot of large amount of damages because all those lives were not uh, just any lives. Those were people who died because of this, because of that small anger you said it was. Oh, just, he was just angry. But look at what anger led to. So if Christ is in us, the sinful acts against all humans should not be in us. We have to recognize all types of sin in our lives so, so that we may be able to get rid of that sin and, and all that selfishness that we have. We have to recognize it's there. If you don't recognize that it's there, you're never going to want to get rid of it. And every single one of us, and I've said this already, we are all have been called to die to ourselves. There's something in every single one of us that either had to, be, had to go and already went or is still there and needs to go. Every one of us, including myself. So then once that's done, once your old self is gone, then we must put on our new clothes, right, of righteousness. Now, I've mentioned a lot how we must get rid of our old selves, you know, our bad habits and our sinful desires in order that we may put on our new self. But what exactly does that look like? What exactly does it look to put on your new self? First, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. See, as chosen people of God, as chosen by God, not by yourself, you didn't choose it, God chose it. He chose you. And, and I know some people don't like that. Oh, here we go with that again. Right? But let me tell you something. I'd rather be chosen by God than me choose myself. Okay? God's perfect choosing. You know, I, I screw up things all the time. I don't want to choose myself. I don't be like, oh, let's put my heart on my own hands. Here, God, I choose you. Like if it was a Pokemon or something. No. I'd rather him choose me. So, But once you're chosen by God, there's a change. There's a change in the way we approach our relationship with the people around us. Everything changes. We must be tender. We must be kind. We must be meek towards others. Our humbleness is shown by, by our attitude towards others. Remember, we talked about how supposedly if you, 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 you praise and you worship an angel... Right? And I, God, you worship the angel, you were going to be fine, right? Because I showed that you were humble. No. 
This is what he's talking about. Your attitude towards people is how you show you're humble. We don't try to overpower or, or rule over people. We're not here saying, oh, I'm going to be a pastor because I can tell all of you what to do. And if you're going to listen to me, you're going to help. But it's because of our compassion and heart, because of our understanding. We should be patient. We should be forgiven. Here's what Barclay says. He said, it is, it is most significant to note that every one of the grace listed has to do with personal relationship between a man and a man. And of course, this is general man and man. It's not just a man and a man, okay? There's no mention of virtues like efficiency or cleverness, not even of diligence or industry. Not that these things are unimportant, but the great basic Christian virtues are those who govern human relationship. How we treat people is how, is how we, we show what we're wearing, who we're wearing. And Jesus is a great example of this. He, and he, he talks about these same attitudes in his Sermon on the Mount. Remember, we, we just went through the Sermon on the Mount. Sounds very familiar, right? Remember? Sounds exactly like what he was talking about. Our attitude. We must live displaying the same attitude that Jesus did towards others. And this is something we must do every day. Every day we must put on our clothes that represent who we are. Every day when we get up, we, we, we have to be who Christ called us to be. The second way that this looks, right? See right on verse 14. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And here's, here's a fun fact, right? In those days, a belt was used to hold rest, uh, the clothes together, right? They would put on this, this weird belt, right? Just like kind of us men would put on a belt so pants don't fall. It was the same idea, right? And this is exactly what Paul's referring to here. Paul describes love as the belt needed to maintain the rest of his virtues. Without belt, without something to put all this together and hold it together, none of this is possible. Love perfectly fulfills what God requires of us in relationship. Anyone remembers that, that most, the most used verse in a wedding, the most popular verse used in a wedding? I've only done one wedding, and I didn't use it because I knew that was the most common verse used, so I decided to be rebellious and not do it. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, Verse 47 says, love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It is not easily angered or resentful. It is not glad about injustice, but rejoice in the truth. It is bearing all things, believe all things, hope all things, and do all things. This is what Paul is talking about. He's just using different words. We must love God. We must love people. 
And if we follow that simple commandment of loving God and loving people, every other is just kind of going to flow into it because it's not possible to love God and love people and not do these things. In time like this, what, what, we, what we wear will stand out amongst the rest. People are going to look and point because of what we're wearing, of who we're wearing. We may even be put down because of who we're wearing. But maybe who we're wearing is going to draw others to wear the same Christ. But whatever the outcome is, the new man walks in the word of God and in worship with other believers. The new man will have Christ dwelled in him. And we must put this into practice by discipline. When Paul tells us to clothe ourselves, again, he's talking about every day. We must put on this clothes every day. You have to commit to follow these commands because Satan and the demons will always have a way to bringing bad things your way and, and we have to exercise what God has called us to exercise. You know, one day you may wake up angry and that day you're going to have to choose whether you're going to forgive or not. Or how are you going to act on that anger? You know, yesterday we were driving, trying to drive to Costco and something happened and, and my wife and I got super angry. So I was ready to blow up. I was ready to go at it. I was telling Safa right before, right? I was like, maybe this is why I have so many guns at home. Let's go. <laughs> That's a joke. But I was so angry. How do you, what do you do then? This is where you make the choice. Are you wearing Christ or are you wearing the world? Because if I was wearing the world, man, <laughs> I would have not looked pretty. And I'm not trying to boast or anything. Who are you wearing? You're going to have to make a choice of what you're going to do every single day. How are you going to treat people every single day? You know, some days you're going to wake up anxious and you're going to conquer it. But the next day you're going to have to choose to put on patience again. Today you'll be like, yes, I did a good day. And tomorrow you're going to be like, oh, yeah. oh, I need to put this back on. Come on, it's hard. That's discipline. You can practice this with relationship with God's people. I mean, each one of these characteristics cannot be practiced alone. Have you tried to practice any of these things alone? Man, I am the best. I have patience with myself. Patience and anger against myself. I'm never angry at myself. I always think I do everything right. You cannot practice these things alone. How are you going to practice patience when you're never around a group of people? You don't. That's not patience. How are you going to forgive if there's no one there to hurt you? 
You need to be willing to be vulnerable with people. Another way we can practice this is our relationship with God. And it's the most, and it's the final, the most important thing is, is, is our relationship with God. And Paul says that we put these clothes on, it's by renewal of the knowledge of the Creator. And this is not only intellectual knowledge. This is not knowing, oh yeah, there's a God and He says this. But it's having a relationship, a real relationship with God. Which includes intellectual and, and includes experiential experiences. It's about knowing God and having an experience with God. your life is lacking fruits it means you need to spend more time with God and we're often so busy man we're so busy sometimes that what happens is that we don't remain in God we, we, we kind of just think we can all of a sudden do things on our own and, and we don't see those fruits and we get busy with school family you know even serving in church sometimes we get so busy at doing things in church you know, that we forget why we even doing it to begin with. But in order to dress and walk like Christ, we must know Christ. So what type of clothes are you wearing? Are you wearing a religious clothing that reflects the only exterior signs and motives that only reflect men's main ideas? Or are we wearing Christ, who is above all others, who came into this world to die for your sin? Are you wearing the Christ that changes the heart of men and makes them new? Or are we just wearing our selfish desires and our own selfish needs? Church. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Holy City Church.